Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. So much is going on. It's uh, not surprising that you or I could miss something big. Last week, when Joe Biden was giving that uh, whatever it was, State of the Union, uh, kind of after four months in office address, I was so tired and so unenergized and kind of bored that I didn't stick around for Tim Scott's rebuttal, which was amazing, which was really, really strong. I watched it over the weekend. Uh, It's 15 minutes long. We don't have time to go through the whole thing, but you can Google it, find it. Here are some of my favorite moments. A hundred years ago, kids in classrooms were taught the color of their skin was their most important characteristic. And if they looked a certain way, they were inferior. Today, kids are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. I get called Uncle Tom and the N-word by progressives, by liberals. Just last week, a national newspaper suggested my family's poverty was actually privilege. Last year, after the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, I built an even bigger police reform proposal. But my Democratic colleagues blocked it. My friends across the aisle seemed to want the issue more than they wanted a solution. Tim Scott, Republican of South Carolina, and hopefully a future president of the United States. He was magnificent. You should watch the entire thing. Meanwhile, one of our failed presidents, George W. Bush. Something else I missed when he went on the Today Show to uh, pass himself off as some sort of painter. He said this about those of us who support President Trump and uh, the direction of the party, which Donald Trump is in charge of, essentially. If you were to describe the Republican Party as you see it today, how would you describe it? Uh, I would describe it as isolationist, protectionist, and to a certain extent, nativist. Hmm. Are you disappointed? Well, that's not exactly my vision. All right. Nativist. Nativist. The word, uh, I don't use it every day. Let's see. It is characterized by opposition to immigration based on fears that the immigrants will distort or spoil existing cultural values. That's not my concern, because people who come here legally and apply for citizenship, they're one of us, and they have to take an oath expressing that. First of all, take a look at this moment at the Republican National Convention. Uh, Do you think Donald Trump is a nativist? People from Bolivia, Sudan, all over the world came to become citizens in the presence of the president. Donald Trump himself, married to uh, at least two foreigners. Uh, Yeah, there's Melania from Slovenia. Before that, Ivanka from the Czech Republic. And remember this, to take, let's take a look at that picture again from the RNC. To become a new citizen, you have to take an oath and you have to actually promise 
that if required by law, you will take up arms on behalf of the United States. People who are born here don't have to take any such oath. People who come here voluntarily, they do. And uh, they're the kind of people I like. I like them a lot. Meanwhile, I never met Ashley Babbitt, but I wonder about her a lot. Ashley Babbitt, the young woman who was killed on Capitol Hill. We talked to her husband, Aaron, last week. You know what happened, and it's tough, but I think we should watch it again. When she was killed by maybe a Capitol Hill police officer, we're not exactly sure who, no for sure who, but we do know that Ashley Babbitt was unarmed. Everybody saw the George Floyd video, and appropriately so. How many people saw this video? Not nearly as many. And we see an unarmed woman get shot by law enforcement. Now, there is a new criminal justice bill, the George Floyd Criminal Justice Act, that passed Congress. And uh, here's a section that's interesting. A federal law enforcement officer may not use deadly force against a person unless... The form of deadly force used is necessary as a last resort to prevent imminent and serious bodily injury or death to the officer or another person. Was that the last resort? Did they have to use the gun right then and there? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but not hearing much from Congress about this. And you know why that may be? Because they don't read these bills. They don't read them. Take a look at this. They wait till the middle of the night, they drop it in the middle of the night, it's printed in the middle of the night, and the next morning when we come in, it passes. Um, how could Congress pass this Patriot Act without even reading it? Sit down, my son. Uh, we don't read most of the bills. Do, do you really know what that would entail if we were to read every bill that we passed? Well, the good thing, it would slow down the legislative process. <laughs> I couldn't believe that virtually no member of Congress had read the Patriot Act before voting on it. So I decided the only patriotic thing to do was for me to read it to them. Members of Congress, this is Michael Moore. I would like to read to you the USA Patriot Act. Section 1, Section 210 of this code reads as follows. All right, look, I'm no Michael Moore fan. Uh, we disagree on most everything, especially guns. But every now and then, he is a brilliant moment. How about that? They don't read the bills? What, they're too big and complicated? Well, maybe they're too big and complicated, and they should be simplified, huh? Isn't that wild? All right, so where does that put us? You know, in America, it seems like we take the serious things not seriously enough, and the silly things we take ultra seriously. Hmm? Uh, cancel culture is out of control. And I'd like to tell everybody in my orbit uh, what Sergeant Holka said in Stripes many years ago. Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> Whatever your name, Greg, Francis, we all need to uh, lighten up. How does that sound? So cancel culture, well, a sort, a sort of it has gone after somebody named Rachel Hollis. Have you ever heard of her? Not me either, but she is a self-help guru of some type, and she's written a couple of best-selling books, and she's on the speaking uh, tour, and she's got lots of followers on Instagram, and she's doing one of those live streams, and she said not exactly the right thing that everybody wanted to hear, 
And then all hell broke loose. And, well, here's what she said. It didn't seem that bad, actually. Miss Hollis mentioned her twice-weekly housekeeper who cleans the toilets. Well, some of the commenters didn't like that. One commenter had told Miss Hollis she was privileged and unrelatable. And, yeah, all hell broke loose. She started to lose followers. Everything seems in jeopardy right now. I haven't cleaned a toilet since the Marine Corps. I mean, what's the big deal? And she's paying somebody. Why not, huh? What did Sergeant Holka say? Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> All right. Words to live by. And maybe Bette Midler could uh, lighten up a little bit. Bette Midler, who uh, I guess was a singer at some point, kind of hard to remember, really rips into conservatives all the time on Twitter. Let's look at one of her latest angry tweets. Sang such peaceful kind of songs, but take a look at this tweet, please. Against uh, Ted Cruz, the dishonorable Ted Cruz. This is a senator who... uh, earns an annual income of $174,000 plus benefits. He voted no for the $15 minimum wage. Lots of reasons to vote no for that, by the way. And here he is sleeping on the job. Well, Ted is not alone. Lots of people sleep during long, boring speeches. Even some liberals that uh, Bette Midler likes. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg used to nod off all the time uh, before Barack Obama, whenever he spoke, she'd slouch. Yeah, look at that, huh? She is out of it. Somebody should have called an ambulance. Uh, Even Joe Biden falls asleep from time to time uh, when the speeches go a little bit long. Hmm? Uh, When it comes to Bette Midler, you know, she used to be a good sport, but she's gone political and she doesn't know how to do it. Here's a moment when she was a good sport, back when she did a cameo on Seinfeld. I kind of like that moment, and uh, I tore into her on Twitter myself today. Maybe I should uh, listen more to Sergeant Holka. Right, Sergeant Holka? Lighten up, Francis. (laughs) Great advice, great advice for all of us, including me. All right, when we come back, uh, we've got some more highlights from the fake news. Also, Eric Trump in a little bit. is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They don't. They do not, Mr. President. Oh, so Morning Joe, Joe Scarborough. Uh, He actually made a fairly decent point today, but he blew it with his delivery, and then he undermined the whole thing a moment later. But uh, when it comes to investigating people and the FBI decides not to bring charges, it's a problem when they leak it to the press, right? He highlighted that in a fairly dramatic way. I don't know about you, but you know, but if I'm running a law enforcement agency and my people keep leaking stuff like this, they're fired. Like, how long are we going to keep, like, you know, putting people out there? By the way, I'll say this for Democrats as well, too. All right, goes on and on and on. It seems like he's yelling at this guy. He's not, uh, but really dramatic. And uh, then it turns out that this guy who's a state attorney in Florida, listen to this. If you ever wonder if the people on Morning Joe all hang out together, I guess they do. Enough is enough. Either you got the case or you don't have the case. Keep your mouth shut. 
bring the charges or don't bring the charges. It seems un-American to me, Dave. And uh, thank you for having us at your birthday party this past oh, weekend. Oh, wow. Yeah, everybody's having, everybody's having a party. Socially distanced so, fun. Yeah, socially distanced fun, yeah. Uh, something kind of lame and silly about the whole thing. Uh, and socially distanced fun is not fun. Uh, all right. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, oh, the Homeland Security Secretary is a guy named Mayorkas. And uh, he's very intense. And they put it to him on the CBS show uh, this morning. Uh, you know, they're bragging about how few kids are in custody right now, that they've reunited them all. But they're just playing games with the numbers. And they pushed him on that a little bit. Take a look at how he starts to react. Does that reflect a reduction in the number of people coming over the border or just an increase in how uh, quickly you can move people out of your custody into health and human services custody and then to sponsors? So we don't have the April numbers yet. Uh, we should have those cumulatively uh, within a day or two. Uh, the numbers uh, remain high. Whether they are as high as March is yet undetermined. All right. Now, this is where he starts to break a sweat. And he seems to be reading kind of like Baghdad Bob or something like that. And then um, Gail King starts to ask him some pointed questions as well. And then. <laughs> He starts to kind of freak out. And look, it may not look this way on your TV. Some TVs, you can see him sweating. Others, you can't. But the guy was sweating and really, really intense as he tried to say, everything's fine at the border. Uh, not so. And we all know that. Meanwhile, Dr. Fauci, who remembers this last year when they honored him for some unknown reason? He got to throw out the first pitch at a Nationals game. And then he cheated with the mask in the stands. Uh, I noticed something about this picture over the weekend. Who else sits with his hands like that, huh? Makes that kind of gesture with his hands. Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Yes, he does. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I think he might have a lot in common. Uh, he, mega maniacal kind of elitist weirdo. Uh, let's see them side by side, shall we? They are very, very similar characters indeed. What do you think? Stay with me. We'll be right back. Information. Truth. Is freedom. Is Newsmax. It's real news for real people. the worst candidate. You know where he is today? They have a thing called the LID. LID. I don't even know. Do you know what LID stands for? LID. He put out a LID today early in the morning. LID means he's not going to be anywhere today. I'm working my ass off. I'm in Ohio. I'm in Texas. I'm in Florida. I'm in Michigan. He wasn't exaggerating. Uh, during the campaign. So who really is in charge right now? And what does Joe Biden do with all of his time? Our Emerald Robinson reports. On the campaign trail, a candidate Biden was confronted about his lack of appearances. In fact, during the months of September and October of 2020, Biden caught a lid nearly two dozen times. And now in the White House, a President Biden continues to maintain a light public schedule. In fact, comparing last week's schedule for Biden and the equivalent week in his predecessor's Donald Trump's schedule is striking. For last week, outside of his daily briefings, Biden had only five public events on his schedule. As compared to the same week, 
week for Trump in which on that Monday alone, he had nine public events. Every other day that week was similarly busy. By the time I woke up in the morning, I already had you know, 30 plus emails of notifications of phone calls that he had been making, you know, since five in the morning, sometimes earlier. Former director of Oval Office Operations at the White House and Trump secretary Madeleine Westerhout describes the challenge of managing the schedule for Trump, who was known to only sleep four hours a night or so. The author of Off the Record, My Dream Job at the White House, How I Lost It and What I Learned, painted a picture of a very busy yet very accessible commander in chief. People were coming in and out of the office all day long. He really had um, an open door policy, which made my job very difficult. But a recent Politico article portrays a very different atmosphere in the Biden White House, one where even high level staffers are frustrated with the lack of access to the president. And according to CNN, President Biden starts taking calls just after 9 a.m. in the Oval in the morning and retires to the residence by 7 p.m. in the evening. The White House suggested Biden took it light last week to prepare for his first joint address before Congress. But again, look at the comparison of the day before schedules for both Biden and Trump. So the question is, what is President Biden doing? And if he's not doing it, who is? President-elect Harris. President Harris. Ron, who am I turning this over to? And Greg, I talked to a presidential historian who told me it could be many, many years before we actually know what President Biden was doing all this time. <laughs> all right. Emerald Robinson reporting for us. Emerald, thank you very, very much. We're joined now by Eric Trump, executive vice president of the Trump Organization and happens to be the son of Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States. Eric, welcome back. How are you? It's great to be with you, Greg. And, and by the way, Greg, what people don't realize, after my father left at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, right, you would still, he'd still be making calls. I would get calls at 11.30 at night, at 12 o'clock at night. I would get calls at six o'clock in the morning. I mean, my father never stopped. He never stopped. And by the way, that was universal. He was checking in on all the Republicans. He was dealing with various crises. I mean, he was unbelievable. He was always the Energizer Bunny, not just you know, when he was at the company, but when he was at the White House. And now I'm seeing this. I mean, my father would be going to get on Marine One. He would give a press conference, right? He'd go talk to reporters. He would land at Andrews Air Force Base to only give another small press conference, answer questions before he boarded Air Force One. He would land wherever he was going. My father was traveling all over the world. He was in Japan. He was in Poland. He was in Saudi Arabia. He was in North Korea. You probably remember that. No one could believe that. He walked across, you know, the DMZ and into North Korea with um, you know, and, and he just never stopped. And then when he landed, he'd give another press conference. And you can go weeks without seeing this guy. They're not going down to the southern border, neither he nor Kamala. They're not they're not working. They're not, you know, meeting with Gold Star families. They're not meeting with Border Patrol. They're not touring construction projects. I mean, these guys are virtually nowhere to be found. It's uh, it's 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 the contrast is uh, is baffling, to say the least. So, Eric, uh, maybe a lot of buyer's remorse out there. And maybe a few people, uh, I actually know some of them, may have been fooled by commercials like this that tried to show Joe Biden as a man on the move. And believe it or not, some people bought it. Take a look at this. It's pretty wild. Some people are always in a hurry. They run when they could walk. Race up steps when others take it slow. When Joe Biden's president, America is just going to have to keep up. Race up steps when others take it slow. Oh, Joe. <laughs> you know, yeah. you the one thing dad, that Joe Biden doesn't want to be reading, Greg, is 
The one thing Joe Biden does not want to be doing, Greg, is racing upstairs. All right, he's had a pretty rough track record on uh, on, on on stairs. It's, I mean, it, again, your reporting was fantastic. I mean, just look at the schedules. Look at the schedules between the two candidates. I mean, my father did not stop. Um, he did not stop. He did have that open, you know, door policy that Madeline was talking about. I mean, I knew Madeline incredibly well. We know her incredibly well. But he would talk to everyone and ever. Right? I mean, he just. He wanted to be in the know and he wanted to govern um, and he wanted to talk to world leaders and he wanted America to be respected. But look what's happening on the southern border. I mean, with the crisis that's happening on the southern border, the fact that the commander in chief nor the vice president has actually gotten down there to see the kind of catastrophe that that they've created. I mean, that, that's a pretty simple trip. They haven't gone overseas. They, I mean, what what are they doing? What are they doing other than pushing through the most left-wing agenda that's going to sink our economy, that's going to cost our kids trillions and trillions of dollars, that's going to hurt manufacturing, that's going to cause our businesses to go overseas. I mean, that's what they're focused on right now. And it's, 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 horribly, it's horribly sad for this country. Eric, uh, you, you, you and your father were not exaggerating one bit during the campaign. We have a moment where you yeah. called the work ethic into uh, question. One moment here. Biden's secretary comes out, press secretary comes out Monday morning at 8.15 in the morning and said, the vice president has called a lid on it for today and for tomorrow and for Wednesday and for all of Thursday until the debate. It's what kind of work ethic is this? What American can call a lid on it at 8.15 in the morning on a Monday morning? It's so bizarre. And again, you guys were clearly not exaggerating at all. Eric. What's his work ethic like right now? I mean, or what is he working on? We know we see the statements. Uh, he deserves some time yeah. off. Um, tell us a little bit about his yeah. day. Well, I mean, in my whole life, Greg, I've seen it, right? I mean, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, he'd call me at 6 o'clock in the morning. Honey, are you up? Good, you better be up. You know, he'd call me at 11 o'clock at night to, again, test me. I mean, my father's just a guy who's never stopped. His entire life has been like that, whether it's in business, uh, no matter what he sets his you know, mind to, um, you know, the apprentice, et cetera, et cetera, the presidency, the way he campaigned. I mean, there's never been a person in political history that's campaigned as hard as my father has and, frankly, as hard as our our family did. And, you know, when you saw Biden, I was talking about, obviously, you know, Biden not leaving his basement in Wilmington, Delaware, right there. But, you know, you see these farmers. I go all over the country. You'd be with coal miners. You'd be with farmers. You'd be with, you know, first responders, um, you know, cops, and just great Americans that own small businesses, et cetera, right? You know, these people are up at five o'clock in the morning and they don't come back sometimes until midnight, you know, from work. And sometimes they're working two and three jobs. And, you know, you're the president of the United States. I mean, you should set an example. And the one thing that no one could ever say about my father, as, 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 as crazy as the media was, right? There's no person in the media as much hatred as there often was for my father who wouldn't say that he was the hardest working president this country has ever had. And, and Greg, just a kind of funny little anecdote. I remember, you know, so many different people from New York Times, et cetera, they'd be following him rally to rally to rally. These are 25-year-olds. They would be sleeping in a backpack, you know, in, in the back of an auditorium after the sixth rally with three Red Bulls, three empty Red Bulls next to them, totally passed out. They couldn't keep up with him, yet, you know, he's delivering hours and hours of speeches to different crowds where he has to keep such mojo, such energy going the entire time, such passion going. I mean, he would literally run these young kids who were following him around the press pool. He would run them into the ground. And, uh, you know, that's what this country needs. And, uh, you know, you look at around the world at the world leaders, you know, do we think Putin has energy? Do we think, um, you know, it go, go down the list? I mean, these guys have, you know, men and women have tremendous work ethic. 
Um, you know, and it's a shame that it doesn't seem like the commander in chief of the United States today does. Energy is what this country needs, and maybe we'll get it again. Who knows? 2024, fingers crossed. Eric Trump, we appreciate it so much. We will get it again. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> Executive <laughs> Vice President. Greg, we will get it again. I promise. We will get it again. All right. You. But you're, you're living yourself. So, Will, all right. I, we, you know what I'm talking about. Eric, I, uh, I, I, hope, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I, I'm very excited. To be continued, sir, and we'll be right back. Anybody, any American, whether you're red or blue, should be extremely disturbed by what happened here today, by the continued politicization of the Justice Department. This is disgusting. This is absolutely absurd, and it's the continued politicization of the Justice Department that we have seen. And it has to stop. If this can happen to the former president's lawyer, this can happen to any American. Andrew Giuliani outside of his father's apartment here in New York City after the FBI came by and raided the place. Andrew Giuliani, of course, friend of Newsmax, former uh, special assistant to President Trump, and who knows, maybe a future governor of New York State. Andrew, <laughs> welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? Greg, always great to be on with you. I miss you over there, my friend, and I'm sorry I'm not in studio with you. Uh, no problem. We'll do it again someday. So, Hey, let's talk about this uh, blunder that the Washington Post made and a lot of other news organizations. I think the initial story said that your father was warned by the FBI that he was a target of a Russia disinformation campaign against the Bidens. That conversation actually never happened? Yeah, it never happened. I mean, I think this just shows you the sources in there, just, just how crazy this is. I mean, we've seen this with other things and other people connected with Donald Trump, never with his personal attorney like this. But you've seen the trend on this. They want to make the headline as salacious as possible. And they will end up taking poor sources in order to do that with poor information. Um, I don't know if this is more the fault of the Justice Department or the media, but they certainly seem to be in cahoots on this. And that, that is a problem for anybody who believes in an independent press and an independent Department of Justice. It really does seem the optics for the Biden administration and anybody who believes in good government are terrible right now that one of the yeah. president, President Biden's chief critics, your dad, that they're coming, that he's being pursued like this. Anything short of arresting the guy doesn't seem to be warranted. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to arrest yeah. somebody, you can arrest somebody. But to have him under investigation and the spectacle is home. This seems like harassment. It, it absolutely is. I mean, when you think about it, to, to have a political adversary like that, this is what happens in third world countries, Greg. This is not what happens in the United States of America. And when Joe Biden says, I didn't know about it, I don't buy that. I'm sorry, Greg. This is the same guy who plagiarized. This is the same guy who's continually lied to the American people. Uh, he may be president of the United States, and I certainly respect the presidency, but I do not respect his word. He certainly has motive to see this out. And so I've just put two and two together, seeing the way the Justice Department, the media has treated this. And I think this goes right to the top of the White House. Well, how about this? Um, deniability. Uh, the Bidens know all about plausible deniability. We heard that from Tony yeah. Bobulewski. Yes. Well, listen, we to this. certainly did. Yeah. Aren't you concerned? And he sort of he looked at me and he laughed a little bit and said, uh, plausible deniability. He said that out loud? Uh, yes, he said it directly to me, one-on-one -on -one in a cabana at the Peninsula Hotel after about a 
you know, hour and a half, two hour meeting with me asking out of concern, how are you guys doing this? Aren't you concerned that you're going to put your brother's, you know, future presidential campaign at risk? Um, you know, the Chinese, the stuff that you guys have been doing already in 2015 and 2016 around the world. And uh, I just can almost picture his face where he sort of chuckles and says, you know, plausible deniability. Uh, that's the way they, uh, they've got it down, maybe, Andrew. Yeah, they certainly do. I wonder if Mr. Bobolinsky got offered a, uh, a spot at Tulane, maybe, to teach as an adjunct professor. I think he would certainly be more qualified than Mr. Hunter Biden. Um, I, look, you're absolutely right, Greg. This is plausible deniability on, on their standpoint. I think this is them going after a political adversary. Look, my father has very damning information on him. Hunter Biden. And the fact that the FBI came in, took two cell phones, they took an iPad, and they were about to take a hard drive as soon as they found out it was Hunter Biden's. I mean, they left they, they left that thing alone like it had the China virus. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what the hell, I don't know what the hell they're thinking. Well, at this point, four of Donald Trump's lawyers have been, um, have had their records examined by the FBI, four attorneys. We only have three of them on this list. We got to put Victoria Tonsing on, on here as well. And maybe five if you count Joe DeGeneva. I mean, that's a lot. And yeah. you wonder, uh, is there an ax to grind? Uh, certainly looks that way. Andrew Giuliani, give us a uh, real quick. Are you running for governor or what? Uh, your name is out <laughs> there. Uh, New York State, Cuomo seems to be doing a not too good of a job. Just a hunch. What are you thinking? Where are you right now? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll let you know in a week. How about that? I am, I've traveled all around the country over the last, all around the country, sorry, all around our great state of New York over the last couple of weeks, all the way from Montauk to Buffalo and everywhere in between. And hearing how New Yorkers want change now more than ever, it certainly inspires me. So what I'll say is I'm closer to yes than I ever have been before. Um, but how about we talk next week? All right, you're on. Thank you, Andrew, very, very much. Uh, take care now. Thank you, Greg. All right. Man, sounds like I may have to call him governor someday. Uh, Stinch, how are you? What's going on? I'm good. It sounds like he's running. I don't know, Greg. That seems pretty much like a yes to me. It looks like you're going to get it next week, too, huh? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Ultra name recognition. He's he's, he's a good speaker, and uh, he's committed. And he has some White House uh, service under his belt, uh, this could this could happen. I really think so. I mean, I think he could be governor someday. Uh, so anyway, uh, what do you got going? Well, he's a good man for sure. Um, I'll tell you, I'm looking more into this immigration crisis. Greg, it just gets worse and worse and worse by the day. I'm in Texas, as you know. I'm now looking at San Antonio. We've got three dozen illegal felons released and they could have been turned over to ICE, but ICE doesn't pick them up for deportation as they're supposed to be deported from America. And instead, they're out on the street, including two sex offenders, uh, real bad dudes. So we're going to go through, really, the role effect of all this across the country and what it's taken on, on this country. All right, Grant. Good luck with that. Many thanks. We'll be watching, and I'll be right back. We have six incredible people who were held hostage by various countries, and I'm very pleased to let everybody know that we brought back 
over 50 hostages from 22 different countries. We worked very hard on it, Ambassador O'Brien and others. And I will tell you, we, uh, we're very proud of the job we did. And he should be. You know, President Trump, I believe, made that a public priority, getting the hostages home that are all over the world. A lot of presidents wouldn't do that because you say something publicly, and if you don't get it done, everybody will know. Uh, but he got it done. I'd like to bring in Fred Flights, former National Security Council Chief of Staff uh, and now president of the Center for Security Policy. Welcome, Fred. And Nigel Farage, former Brexit Party leader. Welcome to you both. First, Fred, um, this is something that Donald Trump was very much committed to. We'll talk about the current arrangement and what's happening in Iran or not happening in Iran. But give us an idea of the overall commitment that the Trump administration had to solving this problem. Well, it was a, a very interesting story. President Trump pressed to get these hostages out, and he didn't pay ransom. He said, you do it or else. He showed leadership, and that is not what happened in the Obama administration, which we'll get to in a minute. And Nigel, uh, by the way, <laughs> I think you right now I'm hearing, Nigel, and I can tell the lights are on, uh, the sun that is, you are in you, the United States. You usually join us when it's late at night in the U.K. What brings you to America? And by the way, welcome to America. I'm pleased to be here. I had to quarantine for a fortnight to get in, but, you know, a couple of weeks on a Caribbean island wasn't all bad. Um, I'm here for six weeks. I'm touring around America, speaking to American grassroots audiences through the outfit Freedom Works. And the reason is very simple. Many conservatives in America now are worried, depressed, even disillusioned with the election result, with what's going on in the big cities, and indeed with many plans that the Biden administration potentially have. Some people almost thinking all is lost. And my message is, we voted for Brexit in 2016, and by the spring of 19, we'd been denied it. And many in Britain felt as disillusioned as you are now, but do you know what we did? We fought back. We fought back, we won, we got Brexit done, we overcame the entirety of global politics. And if we could have won, from our position, I'm damn certain that America can win. I'm damn certain that the midterms coming up, if people start to get positive and focus on them, it could be a huge victory. Well, Nigel, that's a great message, and you're a great messenger. Very optimistic, and uh, uh, thank you for that. Um, all right, so back to the hostages. We've got uh, several in Iran right now. Uh, these are Americans. Some have dual American and Iranian citizenship, which makes things a bit more complicated. Now, there's a, a story out there right now. I believe it was first reported on Iranian television that an agreement had been reached between the U.S. and Iran to uh, bring these folks home, uh, although $7 billion was required to make that happen. Uh, we would have to unfreeze uh, Iranian assets in this country. Um, that's been denied up and down. Um, here's actually Ron Klain on CBS this morning. This is the chief of staff to Joe Biden. There are reports uh, that the Iranian government has agreed with the West to release some detainees. What can you tell us about that? John, I can tell you, unfortunately, that report is untrue. There is no agreement to release these four Americans. We're working very hard to get them released. We raise this with Iran and our interlocutors all the time. Uh, but so far, there's no agreement to bring these four Americans home. All right. Now, there is no agreement doesn't mean one might not happen tomorrow. You know, that's bureaucratic uh, speak right there. But, Fred, what's your sense of what's happening? 
I don't believe anything the Biden administration says in foreign policy. They lie constantly, nothing on the Iran deal. Let's put this in perspective. In 2016, to get the, the nuclear deal that Obama's administration negotiated out, they swapped prisoners and they paid $1.7 billion in cash flown secretly by aircraft from Geneva to Tehran to get them out. Remember, President Trump has talked about the, the pallets of cash. Well, well, guess what? On Friday, we offered an economic incentive. No one knows the details to get a run in the negotiating table. And a couple days later, we hear about this prisoner swap. So guess what? It's happening again. We're going to pay ransom to get U.S. Uh, hostages out and to get the nuclear deal out. And to I mean, it, it is a sellout. It's appeasement by the same people who negotiated the terrible 2015 nuclear deal. Is it ransom technically, um, and you guys are in the business, but my understanding is it's Iranian money that's frozen here. And to get the hostages out- But they're also offering an economic incentive. What's that about? Why are we paying Iran to comply with this terrible deal? You know, the liberal media and the left, they always laughed at Donald Trump's uh, art of the deal and that he was a skilled negotiator. But Nigel, you know, you know this man very well, uh, and you, Fred too, but that wasn't a joke. This was the essence of uh, who he was. And uh, he knew what he was doing. And the results speak for themselves. 50 plus hostages out of hotspots, by the way, including Iran. Yeah, he did a great job on this. And come on, what we know for certain is that it was President Obama in conjunction with the European Union that put together that appalling Iran nuclear deal. Uh, it was appeasement. It freed up vast amounts of Iranian money. And quite a bit of that was spent on spreading terrorism across the Middle East. Iran are the bad guys. This barbarous regime has been there since 1979. It is the worst in the whole region. And what we know for certain, we don't have the details of what's going on right now. What we know for certain is the European Union and Biden will go on appeasing Iran, and that will not do any favors to those hostages whatsoever. You have to show strength, not weakness. Uh, and weakness possibly in the streets of Hormuz. We have this footage of Iranian boats uh, navigating very aggressively near American warships. Um, it's just a small moment here, but if you're in the business of naval warfare, that's an Iranian vessel uh, that we see, and we see it from the perspective of a U.S. naval ship, and what that guy is doing is uh, very aggressive. Now, I'm seeing that we may have fired a warning shot, um, but the kind of posture they're taking on the telephone and at the White House, that has a real-world impact on the ground and on the water, doesn't it, Fred? That's right. Uh, Iran is staging these incidents, and we also have attacks on on, uh, on the U.S. embassy and bases in Iraq to intimidate, to blackmail the Biden administration to make even more incentives. The problem is Iran will do what it did after the nuclear deal last time. Its behavior will get worse. After the 2015 nuclear deal was agreed to, they sent troops into Syria. That's going to happen again. Can I get you gentlemen to comment on John Kerry for a moment? John Kerry was a senior position in the Biden administration. Something he said, this was reported in the New York Times rather discreetly um, about a week ago or so. He had a conversation that was very peculiar with an Iranian uh, senior. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen, uh, if we could, please. Um, he spoke about how many times Syria was attacked by Israel. 
And when he said this, he shocked the folks that he was talking to. Like, why are you giving us this information? What Israel was doing uh, to Syrian targets. Um, why would he be having those kinds of conversations? And uh, Nigel, have you ever crossed paths with John Kerry? And what do you make of him? Yes, I have. Um, he, he came to the European Union a couple of times when I was serving there. And of course, for the globalists, he was treated like a hero. Um, and, the, and the globalists, the globalists, of course, have their epicenter in Brussels, the European Union. Donald Trump's administration was suspicious of it. Um, and look, you know, Iran is perhaps the absolute touchstone of all of this. You know, I think what the Trump administration did with Iran was right. They called out the bad guys. They called out those that spread terrorism. And John Kerry is more than prepared to parley with these people. I mean, you know, do ordinary Americans realize what actually goes on in Iran? Public executions, beheadings, hands cut off. I mean, this is a really vile barbaric regime, uh, and it's about time we stopped appeasing them. But I'm afraid we're in for several years of it. Most Americans do not know that, and they need to know it. Nigel, thank you. And Fred Flights, thank you very much. Nigel Farage, Fred Flights, all the best. We'll be right back. Ultimately, I'm always right. He certainly had Mitt Romney figured out. Wow. All the way back in 2011, he pegged Mitt for a loser. Still gave him money, but Mitt choked. And now people are furious at Mitt Romney, even in his home state of Utah. This happened at the Republican convention there. What do you think about President Biden's first 100 days? Now, you know me as a person who... Uh, who says what he thinks, and I don't hide the fact that I wasn't a fan of our last president's character issues. And I'm also no fan. Aren't you embarrassed? And I'm also no fan of the president's. Wow. And it just went on like that. Uh, so Donald Trump, uh, yeah, he always knew this guy was uh, not up to it. Here he is in 2016. Donald Trump on Mitt Romney. He would have run. And even if he would have won, it would have been bad. He doesn't have what it takes to be president. That I can tell you. He doesn't have what it takes to be president. And the president, our president, put out a statement about this matter today. Let's take a look. Oh, boy. So nice to see Rhino, Republican in name only, by the way, I just like saying that. Mitt Romney booed off the stage at the Utah Republican State Convention. They are among the earliest to have figured this guy out. A stone cold loser. Wow. All right, he doesn't have Twitter anymore, but man, he can put out a statement. And he was right. We'll see you tomorrow night. Stand by for Stinchfield, and thank you.